The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. This is God's Word. He is who He says He is. He has done what He says He has done, and it means what it says He means. Amen? Amen. Amen. So now this is the Word of the Lord. Matthew Chapter 5, verse 1, says this. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so throughout this series, uh, we've done journals for you. For those of you who like journals and we find that helpful, find that helpful. This is another way that we're trying to help make disciples, people who would get into their word. I want to encourage you, bring this every week. Take it to your life group every week. Write notes down as, as God speaks to you through his word. Uh, and the idea is, is that we're going to go through this particular sermon, this particular passage, chapters 5 to 7, week in, week out, over a period of about 13 to 14 weeks. Now, this sermon is actually the most interrogated sermon in the history of the world. Uh, not only have whole commentaries been written about this sermon that Jesus preaches from chapters 5 to 7, but there are encyclopedias about the commentaries that are about the sermon. And so it is the most debated, it's the most studied discourse in human history. And we're going to go through it. And we're going to go through it bit by bit by bit by bit. But before we dig into, I guess, what Jesus is saying here, I want to kind of frame the entire sermon with three elements. The first thing we need to see as we're digging into this particular sermon, this particular discourse, is that it's constantly framed within a kingdom mentality. When Matthew is writing this gospel, he's writing it to a bunch of people to say, Jesus is the king. He is the promised king. He's going to, in his um, genealogy, he's, he's making reference to how this proves that he is the authoritative king. Now, kings and queens are something that, in general, we're not so used to, but I think over the last 12 months, we've become more aware of these sorts of things. So, for example, last year, the most watched television event in human history occurred where Queen Elizabeth II's funeral happened. As a good British boy, for those of you who don't know, I was born in England, don't hate me, uh, I still see myself an Australian, uh, I was brought up to love my Queen. And I don't even in fact call her the Queen, she's my Queen. In Britain, the royal family is the family, it's the royalty of the people. Over 5.1 million Australians tuned into her funeral. Over 3.5 billion people worldwide watched the funeral. In the week leading after the funeral, the Netflix series The Crown's viewership went up by 800%. Since then, a particular member of the royal family and their particular spouse have come out with a documentary, which has now been the number one selling documentary of all time. In the first week alone, there was over 81.5 million people viewing their documentary. Now, we'll just tack on to this because I love my queen. By the third episode, that has greatly decreased. 
as people have come to see what is going on within there. Harry's new, uh, I guess you'd call it an autobiography or a memoir known entitled Spare, has now been the number one best-selling in the history of the world in the first week. There is something of interest to the people in the West around kingdoms and kings and royalty and queens. What that is, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the elaborate and, and the, the magnificence and the grandeur of what we see. Like if you watch the, 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 the funeral, uh, Keller was with me as I was you know, making my kids get up every day and watch hours of YouTube when watching this thing live. And they're like, this is so exciting. But Keller actually really loved it so much so that she wants to change her name to Elizabeth. And she's worked out she can do that at the age of 18. So we'll see how that goes. But they were so interested in even just the crown that was sitting on the coffin. They were asking all of these sorts of questions. So I don't know if it's the, the, the nature of the magnificence and the opulence that we see with the royal family. I don't know if it's the sense of like we want to feel a part of something that's so big and so amazing that we're so disconnected from. Maybe it's the sense that within the human soul, we actually have a desire for a king. And in some ways, I wonder if that's why... Queen Elizabeth was so respected worldwide was because she seemed to be this other royal leader that was unlike others, where she served with character and humility, and she seeked to serve the people. And maybe there's a sense in which we wanted her to be our queen. And as an Englishman to, to the rest of you, just let you know, she is your queen. <laughs> That's a joke. Matthew 3, 1-2 says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and his message was, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says in Matthew 4.17, the same message, repent, for the kingdom is is at hand. 4.23 says, he went around all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Well, in many ways, it's simply an administration. When a CEO comes in, they're new, they take over and they get into the role of CEO, they come with, hey, we're doing things this way. There's going to be new policies, there's going to be new procedures, there's going to be new values, and there's a sense in which this is a new kingdom. You get a new principle. The same thing can happen in the school where they're like, all right, that's how we used to do things, this is how we're going to do things now, based on my experience, based on where I've come from. When you get a new boss, they come in and they do certain things. I remember uh, someone once told me that um, if ever you go in and you take over a pastoral role in a church, that one of the first things you should do is just paint a wall. And just to let everybody know, you've arrived. And I thought, well, that'd go really bad for me because I'd pick a terrible color and everybody would go, great, you've arrived. When will you leave? Right? There's a sense in which um, this, is what, this is what leaders do. And so when the kingdom of God is coming, the kingdom of God has come in Jesus the King. He's inaugurating an entire new system, an entire new administration. It comes with different ways of living. It comes with different policies. It comes with different procedures. And we're going to see that as we go throughout this book. With the, teach, uh, with the kingdom comes teaching. So as this new king comes in, inaugurating his new kingdom, he is teaching what this kingdom is about. How does one enter the kingdom? What is expected of the members of the kingdom? And so this particular uh, sermon 
Chapter 5, 1 starts with, seeking the crowds, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. It then finishes with, at the very end of chapter 7, and when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as with one who had authority and not as the scribes. So in comes the king. The king has a message. The king has teaching. The king wants to say something. And so throughout, you're going to see Jesus often will keep saying, but I say to you, which is why we've told it, but I say. You have heard it said, that's great. That was that administration. But I say. And there is something in that where we are trying to navigate, what does, what does God say? What does the king say? And in the Greek, this doesn't just refer to Jesus speaking in one moment, right? So this is not Jesus up on a hill doing a 40-minute sermon, off he goes, someone scribed it. This is the ongoing teaching of Jesus. Jesus teaches this over and over and over and over again, different places, different times. And then thirdly, the goal of his teaching is essentially discipleship. Jesus wants to bring people into his kingdom. He wants to have kingdom people, followers, learners, those who would come into his kingdom and live under his rulership and experience the beauty of that and the joy of that and then become the people of the kingdom. And so throughout the gospel, we we see in Matthew, there are these different types of categories of people. You see this even just in those few verses. There is the crowd. The crowd are the seekers. They are people who are seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus, and they're interested in Jesus. So they're seeking, they're exploring, they've got this sense of interest in, in him. As you saw at the end there, it's like he speaks differently to the scribes and the Pharisees. He's speaking with a different authority. He speaks in different ways. There's an openness. There's a curiosity. But yet they remain neutral. They're not necessarily in the kingdom. And for many of us, this is where we once were. We were just seeking. We were exploring. We are trying to find out who is this Jesus, what he's like. And at some point, we move to that next stage of being a disciple. A disciple is someone who has received the message of the kingdom and is responding and is now in the kingdom. And this is what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to move people to become like that. So they experience what it looks like to be a part of his kingdom. But there's also these scribes. These Pharisees or or the skeptics, this is the religious elite. They take pride in their outward conformity. They hold to obedience and extra-biblical religious regulations and practices. And they're esteemed in the culture as being the ones who got it. They're the ones who are actually in. And so Jesus, as he teaches, is constantly making all of these contrasts to go, that's not the kingdom. And that's not what the king's really like. This is the kingdom. This is what the king's like. And maybe if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, maybe you had an experience like me where you had a view that was kind of passed down to you of what God would be like. And it was that version of God that you objected to and said, well, I don't want to follow that God. But what you see time and time again throughout the book, throughout Matthew, and you're going to see this over and over again, that as Jesus keeps teaching, it's like this upside down kingdom. It's like that Wow, that's, that's very, very different to what I thought, very, very different to what I heard. It's why we as people, as disciples, need to listen. 
and let him speak. And so he's going to hit on all sorts of things. He's going to hit on marriage and relationships, lust and anger, money and greed. He's going to look, it's, it's such a practical uh, sort of discourse of teaching. It covers pretty much all aspects of our lives. But I want to look just this morning at just these first few opening verses. How does Jesus open his teaching? So it says that he's come to them, he's kind of retreated, the disciples have come to him, eventually the crowds are going to start gathering as well, and it says that he, he starts with this, this saying of blessed are. I love the fact that Jesus' kind of first word about his kingdom is blessed. <laughs> Do you know why I love that? Because it's like, this is a great kingdom. It's a really good kingdom. Uh, I don't know how you feel sometimes about the kingdom of, of our, our culture or what we're seeing happening in our culture, but sometimes we're like, this is not going well in our culture. This is not a kingdom I really want to be a part of. This is going downhill pretty quick. And Jesus is like, it's another kingdom. And in this kingdom, it's beautiful. I love that he starts with that. This is a state of well-being that comes from being in a relationship with God. It's, it's more than just a happy feeling. It, it's more than just being like, life's good. No, no, it's deeper than that. It's this deep spiritual experience of being blessed because you are in a relationship with your maker and you're starting to live out the design that he has created you for. And there is a beauty to that. There is a joyfulness in that. And so even if there are external circumstances which are difficult, which there will be, even if there is opposition, which there will be, even if there are certain things that he has and says, hey, live like this, they, they are hard. Yes, they are hard, but there is also this beauty, this blessedness of being in the kingdom. And his beatitudes, these are known as these blessings, they are so countercultural. If we were to write our own Beatitudes for our culture, this is probably something of which they would go like. Blessed are the rich, for they have it all, and they have it all now. Blessed are the happy, for they are content with themselves and don't need anything. Blessed are the strong, for people will defer to them. Blessed are those who fight for the good things in life, for they will get them. Blessed are the sophisticated, the educated, for they will be esteemed. Blessed are the popular, for many will follow them. Just look at the Instagram. That, that would be how our culture would say, this is what it looks like to be blessed. And yet what Jesus does is he kind of opens up and he kind of throws things a little bit on their head. But as you, you dig into it, you're like, that's actually wonderful. So we want to go through these. We're just going to look at three today, and then we'll look at the rest next week. The first thing Jesus says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing, essentially. Now, let's think about the audience. The audience, there are these massive crowds, these are people who know for the rest of their lives they're never going to make it in. They'll never be a scribe. They'll never be a Pharisee. They'll never meet up. 
And in fact, those who are scribes and Pharisees continually push them away and push them down. They make ways to show that you are less than and we are better than. They have this category shift. There's this classism that happens within every culture in the world. But for the, for the Jewish people, it's a sense in which we'll never get into that kingdom. We don't have what it takes. We don't have the education. We don't have the money. We, we're not healthy. We're, we're these lower class people. We, we, how do we get in? And the answer is, you don't. You weren't born into the right family. You don't have the right money. So you know what? Stay in your little category. You stay down there. And when, and when you want to know what's like really spiritual, you just look at, you just look at us. They have been born into that. They've grown up in that. They've constantly been aspiring to that, but knowing they'll never get in. And this new king comes and says, you don't need anything to get in. This is good news. You cannot get into his kingdom through intellectual assent. You cannot get into his kingdom through spiritual piety or self-righteousness. You cannot get into his kingdom through theological accuracy. You cannot get into his kingdom through accumulation of wealth and possessions. You cannot get into the kingdom through power and position. You cannot get into the kingdom through moral conformity, self-esteem, self-promotion. This is not how Jesus' kingdom works. Essentially what he's saying is this levels the playing field Anyone can get into the kingdom. How often do we feel as Christians of like, we're not good enough for God. And Jesus is like, I already know that. Come to the kingdom. But I've screwed up this week. I've looked at porn. I've gotten angry at the kids. I'm not organized. I can't lead well. Come to the kingdom. I love this about the kingdom because this lets me know every single day I'm in his kingdom. Why? Because I got nothing to offer. My kids remind me of that too. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those with spiritual poverty. He's not speaking of financial poverty. He's not speaking of being poor spirited and having no ambition in life. He's not speaking of, of poor circumstances. He's saying the kingdom is for those who have nothing in their hands to bring, so simply to the cross they cling. And if you think about the people that would be marginalized, who are frustrated, who just are constantly just remind us like a mirror every single day of who they're never going to be, they're never going to measure up, they're never going to be good enough, and Jesus says, you don't have to be. It's not how my kingdom works. My kingdom is for the spiritually bankrupt for the spiritually poor, those who realize it's a kingdom of grace, not merit. So you don't have to try and learn all the theological terms. We love them. We love the ologies. We'll throw them out every now and again. Give you one now. Ecclesiology. Amazing. All right? Transubstantiation. Google that sucker and enjoy it. Okay? You don't have to have all the theological terms and the theological accuracy. You don't have to be super intellectual. You don't have to live in a certain place, look a certain way, dress a certain way. This kingdom, it's almost like you don't get into the kingdom. The king comes and gets you and brings you in by his grace. And I don't know how you feel, but for me as a man, 
who is constantly reminded of my shortfalls. I am so grateful for this kingdom does not rely on me, but it relies on a gracious, merciful king who keeps bringing me back. Second thing is, blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. This kind of makes sense, right? It's a sense of like we, we, we realize that the way that we got into the kingdom was purely by grace alone. But as you meet the king, you start to realize what he deserves and what the standard should be and we don't measure up and the sense of which it grieves our hearts. It's like, oh man. Again, this is, this is not speaking of a natural mourning or a physical mourning, but a spiritual mourning. How does our culture deal with problems? Well, we deny them, right? No, that's not, that's not my problem. That's yours. You're an idiot. Um, we, we downplay them. Well, everybody else is doing it. That's one of my favorite with kids. Yeah, but everybody else watches that. Everybody else gets to do that. And you speak to their parents, you're like, actually, they don't. But anyway, you know how it is. It's a sense, well, we, we don't downplay. Um, often we, we drown ourselves. It's like, well, I don't want to face that thing, so I'm going to move to alcohol, I'm going to move to binging TV, I'm going to move to gaming, whatever it might be, our way of avoiding. And Jesus says, no, the, the kingdom works this way, is we actually face the reality of who we are. And because that first piece came, came first, right? We're actually free to go, yeah, I mess up. Yeah, I have sin in my life. I have brokenness in my life. And it has effects on people. And it grieves me. Many years ago, uh, one of my daughters was not sleeping well. And she would wake up every single night and walk down into our bedroom and wake us up. Any parents relate? Every one of you. Good. Okay. Shane, get ready. <laughs> uh, and, and my daughter would come and, as always happens, you, 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 just, you never get a good night's sleep. And so this was going on for months and months and months and months. And we tried every technique. Everyone was like, do this. So we tried that. Nothing, nothing would work. And one night she walks in her room and I just lose it. And so my left hand bangs the wall. Bang, 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 bang. Get your bag. That was a bit of an overreaction. Slight English action. Apologize about that. That was an overreaction. And I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, no. And I didn't hear her move. And I was like, oh, no. And I walk over. And then all of a sudden, I step and I feel it's wet. I'd scared my daughter so much that she peed herself. I remember picking her up and I was grieved in my heart that in my lack of sleep, in my you know, sleep deprivation, I overreacted with anger and I scared her to the point that she weed herself. That grieved me. I promised I'd never do it again. I never did it again in a way that made her pee. Okay. <laughs> Um, but there was a sense in which like, I was confronted with my sin and my, my lack affected my daughter. 
And I've had time and time again in our family where there are things in me which have affected my wife, affected my kids, affected our church, affected people. And there's a sense in which those who are part of the kingdom recognize that, but we don't avoid it. We face it and we go, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. Why? Because we're free to now. Because we're already in the kingdom. We've been brought in. And so we're not having to pretend. We're not having to put masks on. We're not having to try and hide who we are. We're able to come in and go, yeah, that's me. I'm broken too. And I'm just in need of a king just like you are, like King Jesus. And so there's a sense in which we mourn. But also, look, there's a sense in which as we do that, we receive comfort. Because this is how grace works. Grace goes, yeah, you come to God and you're like, this is me. And God's like, I know, grace Mercy, let me comfort you and let you know that you are still assured in the kingdom of God. That doesn't kick you out of the kingdom. You're no less than you were in the kingdom before. Just keep coming back to me and I will comfort you. Tim Keller says this. He says, religious people see sin as breaking God's rules, but gospel people see sin as breaking God's heart. This is why we mourn. We don't just see God as useful, we see him as beautiful and we come to see that we have broken his heart. And as we come to God and we say, yeah, God, this is who we really are. We, we see that we don't deserve to be in this kingdom, but you have welcomed us in. Then we turn to him. This is what we looked at last week. We turn to him. That's the idea of repentance. Now, often, often we, I think we conflate repentance with condemnation. Uh, repentance isn't beating yourself up for your sin. Repentance is like, I'm worth nothing. And it's, that's, that's self-pity. That's condemnation. The Bible is against that. But the Bible says, as you turn to God, what he does is he brings you in and you get to sit back on his lap and he gets to affirm again, over and over again, that he is still your father who loves you. He is still your father who will welcome you. And he is your father who will help you grow and mature as a man and woman of God. So it leads to comfort, not abandonment. And so as we recognize that we have nothing to offer, God welcomes us in and we continue to mess up. God just keeps bringing us back by his grace. And then lastly, blessed are the meek. I love the flow here. This, this works perfectly, right? The Greek word here for meekness is praise. It doesn't mean weak. Our culture thinks meekness is weakness. When the Bible speaks of being meek, it's not talking about being a snowflake. Okay, it's talking about being a lion who's been trained and is able to have self-control with what they have. And they're able to use it for the right purposes, not the wrong. There's a sense in which we come to God, He changes us, and all of a sudden self-control starts to become a part of us. And this is good because He's going to start telling us how He wants us to live moving forward. It's a sense in which there is this character trait where He is going to help us have mastery over the things in our lives so that we use our, our gifts, we use our personalities, we use our places of positions for his kingdom purposes. But because we are kingdom people, we realize that it is God's strength that gives us this. We are not able to do this on our own. Psalm 20 says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord, our God. So, so meekness is a sense of now that we realize we had nothing to bring, and he welcomed us into his kingdom. And then as we're in his kingdom, we're starting to realize, oh man, there's, there's a lot of things in me that need to change. And God's like, yeah, I'm right here. Keep coming back. All of a sudden, it does something in our heart which says, okay, well, that's the way I'm going to start to live. 
And that's where we need the strength of our King who would help us and encourage us and edify us and equip us to live his ways. And so as you read the things that we're going to read, this is not a, a new list of laws on how to, how to live the Christian life. It's, it's this is the way the kingdom with the king, helped by the king, given grace continually by the king. So if your marriage is struggling right now, that's okay. Come into the kingdom and with the king, he's going to help restore and equip you. If you're struggling with lust or anger or greed, okay, bring that to God. Be honest about that to God. Come and confess that to the Lord and repent and he will help you. And over time, he is going to give you the strength. But meekness also has this other side of the corner. It's not just strength, but it's also humility. Because now we realize we're all the same. We've all got our things. We've all got our areas of weaknesses. We've all got our struggles. We've all got the things in which we know are not necessarily right, that we need the help of the king. And so your struggle is different to mine, but you have a struggle and I have a struggle. And this is why we need community, because struggle together we will. Trusting in Jesus. One author said, meekness is essentially a true view of ourselves." Expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect also to others. The man who is truly weak is the one who is truly amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. In other words, prideful Christians is an oxymoron. People who understand the gospel of grace that we would become self-promoters or self-sufficient is an oxymoron. And we need to be reminded over and over and over and over again that this is a kingdom of grace. We enter it by grace. We stay in it by grace. We will remain in it by grace because we serve a king who is gracious. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.